0: Hello again to everyone tuned in again onto the John Martin Show Podcast. I hope you're doing well here in America and in whichever town, city, or state you are. And also a shout out to my family and friends in South Africa and the mother city of Cape Town. The John Martin Show Podcast is available on Shopify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor and various other podcast platforms. If you have any comments or questions, any of our previous episodes, especially the interview we had with Lester Philander, uh, the knowledgeable host of The Business Show on CCM Radio on entrepreneurship and their, growth, their new growth dynamic business model, please direct message me on my Twitter handle, which is real underscore freedom now. I'll repeat, real underscore freedom now. Or on my Facebook page, The John Martin Show. So today... We're going to cover at least four exciting topics for you on the John Martin Show. But before we get into the four topics on our menu on the Joe Martin Show today, just a brief highlight of the headlines. And even before I say a brief highlight of the headlines, I just wish to wish you a great Labor Day weekend and may enjoy yourself protect your health and stay cool wherever you are and just to give you a brief highlight before i'm going to cover some of the main news headlines on cnn just to give you a, a brief outline of the four topics that we're going to discuss uh, for today on the john martin show we're going to talk about should holes and the no-knock warrants, should they be made illegal in light of the death of George Floyd and many other lives, black lives over the years, like Rodney King in Los Angeles. <music> then the second topic we're going to cover today, Kamala Harris. Of course, as you know, she's Joe Biden's big for vice president of the Democratic Party. And the question we want to ask today, why does Black Lives Matter hate Kamala Harris so much? And also we're going to talk about an interview on the Daily Wire and what they also have to say similar in vain with Black Lives Matter and why they didn't like the news when it was announced that she was going to be the vice presidential nominee for Joe Biden. Then turning to South Africa, the big question is now, Herman Mashaba, what is his political party about? He's started, he literally launched his political party Saturday past on the 29th of August. And the question everybody's asking, who is Herman Mashaba and what is his political philosophy and what chances of Herman Mashaba's party winning against the ruling ANC of Nelson Mandela? And the fourth and final topic that we're going to cover on the John Martin show today is the coming wealth transfer from the middle class to the 10% wealthy of the world. Why is it coming? What is causing it? And the five things that you can do to protect yourself, to prepare yourself, protect yourself and your family uh, before the coming wealth transfer. So those are the four topics that we're going to discuss. But just to give you a quick headlines on the CNN, what is latest on the CNN. And the CNN uh, news talks about the United States has decided they will not participate in the global effort led by the World Health Organization to develop and to distribute a coronavirus vaccine. There's no prizes for guessing why. President Trump is fed up with the World Health Organization, and they don't trust the World Health Organization, we he says is in the pockets of China. Well, you can well understand why he's saying that, because according to President Trump, the World Health Organization held back from announcing uh, the pandemic that had already started in China, and China allowed its citizens to travel around the world and infect people, and of course it created havoc in America and in other countries of the world. So there's no guessing as to why He is not uh, interested in whatever vaccine the World Health Organization wants to develop or to distribute. Then another topic that is highlighting on CNN is the fatal shooting of another black man by police in Los Angeles County uh, this past Monday. And it, of course, now resulted in more protests there as well. And the family of this 29-year-old Dijon Kizé is calling for the police involved to be publicly named and arrested. And of course, there's also now calls on the community by the mayor. There's calls on the communities to stop the senseless violence and that's been going on for the 96 straight nights of protests. So the mayor is calling on the public and the community to stop the violence. And of course, we also know that that this violence is spreading to other parts, or it's already out in in Portland in Oregon, and of course we know that uh, President Donald Trump is threatening to bring in the, the the National Guard to to put a stop to it. So that is the other part of the story, and of course now just for the latest again, here in uh, in Portland a man is a man that has been wanted in the fatal shooting of a supporter of a right wing group. Uh, During the recent clashes, he was himself shot and killed last night as the police tried to apprehend him and he appeared uh, to admit to the earlier killing. Well, we're not sure about it because it's quite interesting that he was shot by the police and, of course, he's no longer alive to tell exactly what has happened, what led to him being killed. And as Andres continues to plague the Oregon City, three members of its voluntary police oversight body have resigned over the escalating tensions. And meanwhile, Joe Biden, he visited Kenosha uh, where President Trump also visited Kenosha and uh, Joe Biden, he talked with the relatives of Jake, Jacob Blake. Remember Jacob Blake is the young black man that was shot in the back and seriously wounded. And Wisconsin's governor, interesting enough, says at the visit uh, by Joe Biden uh, compared to President Donald Trump was like night and day. He says, compared to President Trump, it was like night and day. And of course, in Rochester, New York, the mayor says that seven officers that's been involved in the march arrest of a black man that was pinned to the ground and who later died, those policemen have been suspended because the family of Daniel Prude, they of course brought this to the forefront and they demanded accountability uh, in his case. So that is what is trending on CNN, talking about the unrest happening around the country. And of course, uh, just lastly, regarding a stimulus package deal, uh, is the stimulus package deal still on the cards? The White House is looking to avoid a government shutdown as Congress digs in for more tense negotiations. And of course, the sides need to reach a deal to avoid a government shutdown by the end of September. And the White House told lawmakers it wants a stopgap stopgap measure to keep the government afloat until mid-December. Quite interesting. Uh, the elections is scheduled for uh, November the 3rd. And of course, the White House wants a stopgap gap measure to keep the government afloat until mid-December. Very, very interesting that one. Uh, The timing is interesting. Anyway, so as the stimulus talks are being stalled or they are stalling, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, guess believe it or not, she is asking for 2.2 trillion, uh, or she's put forward a 2.2 trillion proposal, 2.2 trillion dollar proposal as a stimulus package. And but of course, this was rejected by the White House NGOP leaders and Senate Republicans. And the Senate Republicans apparently will try next week to push through their $500 billion uh, dollar relief plan. Very interesting, very interesting. Uh, later on, one of my topics is going to talk about the coming wealth transfer and the hand of the Fed in this coming wealth transfer. So that is quite interesting. The Fed, I believe... Uh, has got a lot to answer for uh, because of what is happening uh, on the stock market and of course also I'm going to talk about it uh, in my last topic today about uh, the the stock market has dropped by about 5% and billions have been wiped off the share value of certain stocks like Apple and of course Tesla and Microsoft but anyway... us let us just get into what we want to talk about today today we want to talk about what is really happening what is really happening so on the john martin show today we want to invite your comments and questions if i've got any questions or comments please send it to me at my twitter handle real underscore freedom now uh, or you can send it on my facebook page which is the john martin show and so let's get right into it let's get right into it into into the first topic for the day Let's get right into the first topic of the day. And the first topic of the day, I want to bring out that America is the land of opportunities. There's no doubt about it. Even America's critics um, and detractors has to agree that America is a land of prosperity and freedom uh, for those that are willing to roll up their sleeves and work. It is the land of the free, democratically speaking. And in the light of the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Right, the question I want to ask today on the John Martin Show, should chokeholds, should no-knock warrants, should they be made illegal? Now, we know that we've had the shooting in the back of Jacob Blake by the police in Wisconsin. And, of course, we know that President uh, Trump visited Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, because of the unrest there. Now, the question is right now is, should the Presidential Task Force report of 2014 into 21st century policing... Should that be dusted off? Should that be re-looked at? Because we know that what has happened now in Kenosha where this person was shot by police. He was shot. And of course, there was people that just wanted to deliver food and water to protesters. But while they were still on their way to deliver food and water to protesters, they were basically arrested. They were arrested by police and of course uh, the Oregon police also says that they won't send more deputies into to rein the, the protest because the police are not feeling safe. So we need to consider what is happening around America because of racial unrest. And of course, the police feel they are getting a lack of support from city officials. And of course, They are refusing to police certain areas now. They won't send in their their deputies to rein in the protests anymore because of what they consider as a lack of support from city uh, officials, right? So many people have been waiting on President Trump to condemn the actions of his supporters uh, in Portland and in Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin, after the violent, uh, violent protests there. But so far, President Thomas refused to do so. But Joe Biden has spoken out against the violence. But the question we can ask today why has Black Lives Matter not spoken out against the violence? That is a good question. That is a relevant question. Why has Black Lives Matter not spoken about it? But in light of the ongoing riots and protests and looting following the death of George Floyd by police in Minneapolis, Should the recommendations in the 2014 presidential task force report into 21st century policing, should that be dusted off, should it be looked into and implemented? We can well understand the anger and frustration of activist groups like Black Lives Matter, although we don't agree with their methods. But we can understand their anger at the death of George Floyd in a horrible way uh, by this police officer who literally knelt on his neck till he died. We don't agree with the methods of Black Lives Matter. We don't agree with the the methods of the police. But this is the question we want to ask. What police methods has improved since the death of Rodney King in Los Angeles? We are talking about years and years ago. What police methods has changed? What has changed since the death uh, by police of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri? which led to President Obama establishing the task force into 21st century policing? What legislation has changed since the police shooting of 26-year-old Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky? What has changed since they kicked in the door of her apartment? And what about the killing of innocent ninety two year old Catherine Johnson when the police rushed into a house in Atlanta in 2006 and she fired her registered firearm, that she had a registered gun and in fear when the police uh, knocked uh, her door down. Remember the no-knock warrant? The police kicked in a door down and out of fear she fired a registered weapon. Guess what? The police shot her, they killed her, and they discovered afterwards it was the wrong house that they went to needless, innocent death because of the police, Uh, they were allowed to, 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 to knock down a door without a search warrant. So the question today on the John Martin Show, what needs to happen to black lives before recommendations in the President's task force report of 2014 on 21st century policing is implemented? What needs to happen? The death of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, President uh, prompted President Obama to commission the 2014 Task Force Report into 24 uh, into 21st Century Policing. Now, this is quite interesting. There's an article that I read uh, on CBN. CBN article on the 27th of August uh, by uh, Eric Phillips, and this is what he says: One element that's dominating the headlines in the continuing racial unrest in the Black Lives Matter talk of defunding the police. Now, of course, we know the Black Lives Matter, one of, their, one of their demands are that the police must be defunded because they believe the police are responsible for killing innocent blacks. Well, of course, unfortunately, it's true, the, uh, the police are. But we believe, as all uh, fair, reasonable people, that uh, that is a handful of the police. The majority of the police are good people. Uh, they are serious about doing their job. Uh, And, of course, there are those small percentage of police that have got maybe racial attitudes and they're quick to arrest people just because of the color of their skin. Now, Eric Phillips, in his CBN article of the 27th of August, he says, The focus on the Black Lives Matter call for defunding the police is taking the attention away from the controversial law enforcement tactics that many feel should be eliminated altogether. I'm going to read that again. I'm going to say that again. Right, Eric Phillips in his CBN article of 2 in his organ says, the focus on the Black Lives Matter call for defunding the police is taking the attention away from the controversial law enforcement tactics that many people feel should be eliminated altogether. A prime, prime example of these controversial police, uh, police tactics, it was the difficult to watch video of a policeman's tactical hold. right that led to the untimely death of George Floyd. And unfortunately, that was still legal at the time when they were doing it. It was still legal in Minneapolis to, to, uh, to have a chokehold on a, on, a, on a suspect. And of course, it led to the untimely death of George Floyd. So in the light of George Floyd's death, amongst many others, certain legal police tactics need to be revisited, such as the police tactical chokeholds, the no-knock warrants, because we know that that 92-year-old lady uh, was shot because the police uh, just kicked the door down. And out of fear, she, 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 she pulled a firearm, and we know what happened there. So the question today, what needs to happen before controversial police tactics are made illegal? What needs to happen? How many more black lives need to be taken by police before the recommendations in the 2014 Presidential Police Task Force report on 21st century policing are implemented. Let's take a look into the main recommendations of that 2014 Presidential Police Task Force report that says uh, there's going to be national standards for policing in the United States. I don't think any reasonable uh, law-abiding citizen has an issue with that, has a problem with that. They talk about national standards for policing in the USA and, of course, this what is what the report focuses on. The 2014 Task Force report focuses on, number one, building of trust and legitimacy. Now, we need to unpack that. There's got to be building of trust. That means building of trust between the community and the police, and there's got to be legitimacy, meaning that when the police take an action, it's got to be legitimate. It's got to be legal. It's, it mustn't amount to chokeholds uh, which Leads lead to the death of people like George Floyd. It mustn't be a no-knock warrant where they don't need a warrant, they can just kick the door down and, they, uh, and if they've made a mistake and people get killed, so tough luck, they are protected by the law. So considering how many black lives has been killed at the hands of police, there's definitely mistrust and skepticism. So, so that intentional, well, 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 well thought out, well thought through uh, trust-building measures needs to be put in place. Considering how many blacks have been killed at the hand of police over the years, since the time of Rodney King, since the time of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, there's a definite mistrust uh, of the community, of the police. There's scepticism on the part of the community. So there's got to be intentional, well thought out, well thought through. Trust building measures must be put in place. Then second of the recommendations in this 2014 presidential police task force report is policy and oversight policy and oversight, right? There's got to be clear policies that respect human rights of suspects and offenders. And senior officers must be responsible for oversight role. They must have a record of integrity. Senior officers that's going to be responsible for an oversight role, they must have a good record of integrity so they can be trusted by the community. And then the third recommendation in that report, police training and education. Obviously, that's what we've been talking about. We are saying... That for those policemen that's got racial attitudes and that look at people of color as if they are uh, inferior or less than human or they are immediately a suspect because of their color, there's going to be police training and education. The new, there's going to be new officer training and new officer training must place a strong emphasis on respect for human rights and education. And it must also focus on cultural norms and differences. There's obviously certain cultural norms uh, of certain communities and the police, part of their training must, must obviously make them aware of that. Then number four, fourth recommendation of that 2014 task, Police Task Force report, it says, talks about officers' wellness and safety. Now, of course, we are concerned... As the Black Lives Matter movement say, Black Lives Matter, we believe here at the John Martin show, all lives matter. The lives of the police matter. They are husbands, they are brothers, uh, and they are sisters in the case of female police officers. So their lives also matter. So the the attention to the officers' wellness uh, wellness and safety is important. And therefore, we are saying that officers going into the field must have the assurance that their wellness and safety is paramount with their senior management and to make, them feel, to make them feel that they can go out there and do their work knowing that they are covered and protected by their senior uh, management. Then lastly, community policing, very important. Now, it's quite interesting, Black Lives Matter are ask for, asking for the defunding of the police, and here we are saying uh, the, the task force is saying that community policing must be an important uh, aspect of the national standards for policing in the United States of America. So what we are saying in the John Martin show, there must be more active and visible community policing instead of defunding of the police, like Tyler Perry, a well-known Hollywood actor and producer, is saying, like many other people are saying, many responsible blacks are saying, there must be more active and visible community policing in especially predominantly black neighborhoods, and that in itself will be a deterrent to crime. So if you have more visible and active community policing, especially especially black areas and neighborhoods, that in itself will be a deterrent to crime. So what are we saying on the John Martin Show? We are saying, well, we are asking the question, how many more George Floyds or uh, Breonna Taylors or Michael Browns or Rodney Kings uh, must die? How many more people like Eric Garner, this is a person that is a black man also that was erectus, arrested in New York City for selling cigarettes. Right? He died because of a police chokehold. This was about six and a half years ago. Is it necessary that these people needed to die at the hands of police? Well, of course not. Police officers uh, in New York, they used to chokehold on Eric after it was banned. This is very interesting. After it was banned, they still use a chokehold on him, right? So the national standards for policing in the United States, as contained in the 2014 Presidential Task Force Report on 21st Century Policing, is going to be implemented. Now, let's quote Mike Jones. Now, Mike Jones is a retired police chief, right? Mike Jones is a retired police chief, and he says of the George Floyd murder by a police officer, at the moment, a person is handcuffed. He becomes your responsibility, meaning the responsibility of the police officer in charge. He says, you now have to take care of that person. And Mike Jones, the ex-police officer, says he believes the arresting officer then reaches a point of caretaker rather than as an enforcer. This is what he says, that when the police officer arrests the person, the offender or the suspect, he believes the arresting officer now he reaches a point of caretaker rather than as an enforcer. So you've got to care for the person that's, 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 that's in your control, so to speak, when you've handcuffed him. So you've got to now become as a caretaker to him instead of an enforcer. Then let's look at what the Reverend Mark Hutchins has to say. He's a community activist from Atlanta, Georgia. And he says straight out, chokeholds should be outlawed. Chokeholds should be banned. That's what he says. Then Reverend Mark Hutchins also says of the police officer, if he say, he says, if the police officer really sees both consciously and unconsciously the humanity in the person they are policing, they won't put them in a chokehold. I'm going to repeat that again. That's quite profound. He says that if the police officer really sees both consciously and unconsciously the humanity in the person they are policing, they won't put them in chokehold. And this is what Dr. Patrick Oliver says. Now Dr. Patrick Oliver is the director of the criminal justice program at Cedarville University in Ohio. And he says, officers must be carefully selected. They must be better trained and there must be more checks and balances put in place. And we can understand that. We can agree with that. We can agree with that, that there's got to be, they've got to be better trained. And of course, there's got to be more checks and balances put in place. I would like to quote um, uh, Officer Carol Adams. Uh, She's patrolling the streets of, of Richmond. Uh, in virginia but i just want to make look at my notes here from the um the gentleman uh, that's uh, associated with the university cedarville university dr patrick oliver because he also made some very some very good points here but okay let me just see if i can go over to to what um to what um uh, this um, lady has to say, this is now Carol Adams, I was quite interested to hear what she has to say, because she's a mother herself, uh, Officer Carol Adams, she's been patrolling the streets of Richmond, Virginia for over 20 years, and this is what she says, that as a mother she was outraged at the death of George Floyd, she was outraged, and this is what she said, I'll call everybody my baby, for you like my son. Now this is quite interesting, she's a lady, she's a mother, she patrols the streets of Virginia, uh, Richmond in Virginia, and she says, I call everybody my baby, for you are like my son, for that's the only way I can look at you, she says, that's the only way I can look at the community as if they are blood related to me, so that means they trust me. Don't you think that's interesting, don't you think that's profound? She says, that's the only way I call everybody my baby for you are like my son, for that's the only way I can look at the community as if they are blood related to me. So that means they can trust me. That's what she says. And I think that most mothers would look at it that way because they have a heart. And this is what she says, right? I look at the community as if they are blood related to me. So that means they can trust me and they trust me to hear what they are saying. They can trust me to hear what they are saying. And Carol Adams believes a big part of the solution to what we are seeing now, these protests and riots because of the deaths of so many black people. She says the solution lies in applying the national standards like those recommended in the 2014 Presidential Police Task Force report on 21st Century Policing. And she concludes by saying, this is what Officer Adams concludes by saying, she says, now it's time to make the national standards for policing in the United States of America that everyone has to buy into it and every police department countrywide should be regulated. That's what she says. That's what she says. Now, you know, We are going to appeal. We are appealing to President Trump here today. President Trump, Republicans, Democrats, lawmakers, we appeal to you please implement the national standards for policing in the United States of America as recommended in the 2014 Presidential Police Task Force report on 21st century policing so that the deaths of the following are not in vain. So that the deaths of Rodney King, Eric Gardner, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor, Catherine Johnson, right? so that they are not in vain. Yes, of course, now we know that uh, George Floyd is should be included in that, of course. And we say, not forgetting Jacob Blake, who was shot in the back by police. And of course, Daniel Prude, he was shot and killed by police in New York, uh, and his, his family is asking for accountability. So we are saying to you, President Trump, we're saying to the Republican Party, we're saying to Democratic lawmakers, we appeal to you, please, Implement the national standards for policing in the United States as recommended in the 2014 Presidential Task Force Report on 21st Century Policing so that the deaths of the following people that we've mentioned here that they will not be in vain. Yes, please do not let the death of George Floyd be in vain. Don't let the death of Rodney King, Eric Garner, Michael Brown, Breonna Taylor and Catherine Johnson. Do not let it be in vain. And so we don't have the the, the senseless killing Uh, or not killing, but rather maiming and hurting of of a person like Jacob Blake. It wasn't necessary for them to shoot him in the back seven times. So that's what we are asking for. President Trump, uh, there's something that I'm going to mention later on, what President Trump is doing, which is commendable. But in the meantime, we are appealing to President Trump, to the lawmakers, and to... um, to the democrats and the republicans do what what is necessary to implement the national standards for policing in the in america so we're going to go on to topic number two and topic number two is the question today why does black lives matter hate Kamala harris so much very interesting question but before we're going to go delve into that topic uh, if there's any questions that you have or comments that you want to make On the topics we are discussing here today or what we have discussed in previous episodes, please send me a direct message to real underscore freedom now, real underscore freedom now. That's my Twitter handle. And we will respond to you in the next episode. We will respond to your questions and comments uh, in the next episode. So let us go to the question. Why does Black Lives Matter hate Kamala Harris so much? Now, Kamala Harris, as everybody knows, uh, she's now the vice presidential nominee of Joe Biden. Uh, He's the Democratic contender for the White House. Uh, And, of course, on November the 3rd, we will know who is going to be the winner. But uh, Joe Biden has now, of course, um, selected Kamala Harris to be his uh, vice presidential nominee. Now, a lot of people were excited at the choice of Kamala Harris, uh, but believe it or not, Black Lives Matter said no, they hated the choice, they were against it, and of course we are going to go into the reasons why they were against it. And not only from what they are saying, but what somebody else is saying. Uh, this is what the Democrat is saying. So, uh, in a Democratic presidential debate that was aired on CNN on the 31st of July, now of course you know uh, that Kamala Harris uh, was a nominee For the uh, for 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 president, uh, democratic nominee for president, and of course she had to take part in in debates like uh, is is a common practice here in America, and of course on that particular stage, uh, hosted by CNN, was also a Democratic congresswoman uh, from Hawaii uh, by the name of Tulsi Gabbard, and she grilled. Kamala Harris, on that particular podium that day. And this is quite interesting. This lines up with the reasons why the BLM, or Black Lives Matter um, activist group, why they actually were against uh, the nomination of Kamala Harris for future Vice President of America. And this is what uh, Tulsi Gabbard has to say. This is, she accused Kamala Harris of the following. She says that during her reign, as state prosecutor and attorney general for California, she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana and she laughed when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. I'll repeat that again. Tulsi Gabbard accuses... um, Kamala Harris during her reign as uh, Attorney General in California that she put over 1,500 people in jail for Mariana violations and she laughed when she was asked if she herself had smoked Mariana so she obviously didn't answer that question then also she accused uh, Tulsi Gabbard a fellow Democrat by the way she accuses of Kamala Harris that she blocked evidence that would have freed innocent people on death row, that's a serious charge, that's a serious allegation and she accuses Kamala Harris of blocking evidence that would have freed an innocent man on death row until the court forced her to do so. Can you believe this? This is shocking to think that there was evidence that would have freed this innocent man on death row, and she would not supply that evidence until the courts forced her to do so. Then also she accuses uh Tulsi Gabbard accuses Kamala Harris that she kept people in prison beyond their sentences so that she could use them as cheap labor in the state of California. How despicable does that sound? Terrible. But that's what she accuses her. Then Tulsi Gabbard says Kamala Harris owes all the innocent people that she put in jail and she kept in jail beyond their sentences. She owes all of them an apology. Believe it or not, up till the date, no apology has been forthcoming. Uh, from from Kamala Harris and then also uh, Tulsi Gabbard accuses Kamala Harris of this. She said that Kamala Harris fought to keep the cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Can you believe it? A poor person, right? For some violation, they've been arrested. They've been put in jail. But they would like to come out on bail. The family would like them to come out on bail. But, of course, they don't often have the money. And Kamala Harris, supposed to be a a fighter for for human rights, she fought to keep the cash bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. Now, of course, Senator Kamala Harris refused to respond to the allegations about a record, uh, from Tulsi Gabbard, she refused, and there was an interview that I saw on on Fox News. Uh, Tucker Carlson he interviewed Tulsi Gabbard about this, uh, about this um, debate, where where she attacked the record of of Kamala Harris, and of course Tucker Carlson after he listened to Tulsi Gabbard's accusations against Kamala Harris, he said it's despicable, the response of. Uh, the response of Kamala Harris, and he found despicable the personal insults, personal insults that Kamala Harris uh, sort of uh, gave in the way of of Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she accused her of being a foreign agent and she made personal um remarks about Tulsi Gabbard and her character. Instead of responding to the allegations, she made personal insults, gave personal insults against Tulsi Gabbard, and she called her, amongst other things, a foreign agent. Now, this is disgusting from what I've read. And now, before I'm going to contrast this with what President Trump is doing for certain members of the black community and in terms of the criminal justice system, I just want to read you out another... Another report that, um, another interview that I listened to, or rather a, a podcast that I listened to. And uh, the allegations in this podcast is quite serious. Now, the allegations in this podcast was quite serious. This was on the Daily Wire podcast. It's a YouTube video that I saw by Andrew uh, Clevin, the Andrew Clevin show, uh, the Daily Wire, Andrew Clevin show. And this is what he has to say. This is what he has to say about the record of Camilla Harris, the vice presidential uh, Democratic nominee by Joe Biden. He says Camilla Harris corruption exposed yeah i want I want to tell you about the first one that he said about Camilla Harris sleeping away to the top. I'm not going to go into that. I will skip that, but I will talk to you about a book that he mentions about Peter Schweitzer. He mentions a book that was written by Peter Schweitzer and in his book, he profiles uh, the corruption by America's progressive elite. The book by Peter Schweitzer profiles the corruption by America's progressive elite. And then this is what he says. Camilla Harris was the only DA in uh, in the American uh, metropole of 15 metropoles. She was the only DA Of 15 American metropoles that didn't bring charges against the Catholic priests on sexual charges. Now as you know there was a big scandal, a lot of priests was involved with homosexual acts, a lot of sexual scandal there and of all the DAs across 15 metropoles, Kamala Harris was the only DA that did not bring any charges against the Catholic priests on sexual charges. Whereas, of course, we know in other cities, of course, charges were brought against them. That was very interesting. That was very interesting. And, of course, this is uh, also in this particular podcast by uh, Andrew uh, Clavin on the Daily Wire show. He says that while Kamala Harris was Attorney General of, of California, there was a chain of six hospitals that was owned by the Catholic Daughters of Charity, that went insolvent. There's a company called Prime Health Care Services. They wanted to buy all six hospitals and they wanted to keep it open. And they put in a bid of about eight hundred and forty million dollars. But Prime Service Health Services, uh, they uh, by the way, they were the only bidder at the time, and they agreed to assume the three hundred million and sorry, three hundred million dollar debt of the six hospitals. But of course, what happened was they, they. What happened was there that the healthcare the international Healthcare Union approached Camilla Harris and of course they were against this particular private company uh, buying this these six hospitals and then of course Camilla Harris decided to come in on the side of the, this particular union uh, healthcare workers union and so what she did, to sabotage the deal, she put in crazy poison poll conditions that basically sabotage the deal. Things like uh, she tried to force the company to agree that there was going to be emergency workers uh, uh, that would be available and all sorts of other costs. Uh, kind of conditions that would increase the cost of this private health uh, healthcare company. And they, of course, said, no, they couldn't agree to that. So that basically sabotaged that deal. So what we are saying is this, that they were robbed. They were robbed uh, of of six particular hospitals, whereas they could have had six six hospitals. They were now robbed of six hospitals in California that they could have had because of what Camilla Harris did by sabotaging that particular deal, so that goes to show you the kind of the kind of person that is that that she is, and of course one of the other allegations against her is that she didn't prosecute police officers who stepped over the line. Now that is exactly the same kind of strong allegations that Black Lives Matter has against Kamala Harris that when she was Attorney General she did. She didn't do much to help the black community of which she was a part of. In fact, as the one allegation says in this uh, Daily Wire podcast, she didn't prosecute police officers that stepped over the line. And so, of course, the other big allegation against her is that when she was the attorney general, there's a journalist by the name of David DeLayden, Now, David DeLayden is one of those investigative journalists. Now, he secretly videoed a meeting between the Planned Parenthood officials discussing the sale of body organs. Now, of course, we know what Planned Parenthood stands for. They are standing for legalized abortions, and that's literally what they perform. And he videoed, because he's a journalist, I think he's probably a Christian journalist, but anyway, he's a journalist, and he secretly videoed this meeting between Planned Parenthood officials Uh, discussing the sale of body organs. So he went to report this to Camilla's office as the Attorney General, and instead of going after Planned Parenthood, based on the video that he showed her, she started an investigation into David DeLayden. Can you believe this? To add insult to injury. And then what happened was there's a pro-life, there's a pro-life organization called Operation Rescue, and they came out with this allegation that they had proof, they said they had evidence that Camilla Harris has close ties to Planned Parenthood. That's what they said. They have records uh, that Camilla uh, Brown's campaign received donations of $81,000 from Planned Parenthood into her campaign coffers. So they have evidence of that. So now you can understand there's clearly a conflict of interest here why she didn't take action against Planned Parenthood, but she rather took action against the whistleblower, if you want to call him a whistleblower. And then in a, in a Fox TV interview, David DeLayden said that while Kamala Harris was running for the United States Senate, the Planned Parenthood in California contributed to her campaign. So now you can understand the conflict of interest here, that she's running for the United States Senate and Planned Parenthood in California is contributing to her campaign. And then he says also, another serious allegation, Delayden says that Camilla Harris refused to recuse herself from the Planned Parenthood investigation and she purposefully involved herself in the Planned Parenthood case. Can you believe this? She was supposed to recuse herself because it was clearly a conflict of interest because they supported her campaign, but she purposely involved herself in the Planned Parenthood case. And then he said... She had an in she had an in-person meeting, this he said on Fox News, that she had an in-person meeting with six executives of Planned Parenthood in Los Angeles two weeks before the raid on his apartment. Can you believe this? So she had this in-person meeting with six executives of Planned Parenthood who funded their campaign to the tune of eighty-one thousand dollars. And then two weeks after that meeting, there was a raid on his apartment. And then DeLaden says that he has David DeLayden says he has personal experience of how Kamala Harris uses her power against people who disagrees with her. I'll repeat that last part. DeLayden, David DeLayden says, and he said this on Fox News, and the record speaks, that she has, that he has personal experience of how Kamala Harris, the Joe Biden's uh, vice, president's, vice presidential nominee, uses her power against people who disagree with her. Now that lines up more or less with what with what uh, Tulsi Gabbard has to say, uh, and those allegations about uh, using uh, keeping people in prison longer uh, than necessary so that they can be used as, as as cheap labor, so those are serious allegations. Now you contrast that you contrast that with with President Trump. Now President Trump now recently, uh, and this was mentioned at the RNC. Republican National Convention 2020, President Donald Trump pardoned John Ponder. Now, and President uh, Trump attended the Hope for Prisoners Graduation, organized by John Ponder. Now, John Ponder, for those who may not be aware of him, he was arrested and sentenced for bank robbery at the age of 37, and but he prayed to God and he made a deal with God. And John Ponder grew up in a single-parent home. He was first arrested at the age of 16, and the uh, the FBI special agent, Richard Beasley, the, uh, his arresting officer said that John Ponder was destined for great things when the judge gave him a lighter sentence for bank robbery, though he couldn't be, though he could have been sentenced to 23 years in a maximum prison. And of course, uh, John Ponder says when he got to the prison after the sentencing by the judge. God told him that he honored his request for a lighter sentence. He asked God to give him a lighter sentence. And he then also made a deal with God that it would serve God if he got a lighter sentence. And God reminded him not to forget the promise he made. And then John started a nonprofit uh, organization called Hope for Prisoners and to help women and young adults successfully re-enter the work workforce uh, and their families and the community. And of course, uh, John uh, attended the prayer breakfast, uh, the National Day of Prayer. He attended the National Day of Prayer where the President obviously was introduced to him. And of course, he spoke to the President about um, his transformation. And of course, he told the President about his, his program, the, the, the Hope for Prisoners program. And the President sort of said, look, he would attend the, the, the graduation of the, the Hope for Prisoners graduation. And of course, uh, the President attended that. He was supposed to only stand for 15 minutes, I believe, but he he stayed for about an hour. And of course, uh, John Ponder says that the president attended the graduation of the 29 former offenders and he shook the hand of each one of them, of course. And of course, uh, he says, can you believe the way that those people felt after the president of the United States shook the hands of them personally? And so you contrast that with a record of Kamala Harris. Now, of course, also, at the moment, uh, of course, we know it's election season here in America, and we have people like um, the the Democrat, uh, the the ex-Democrat uh, for Georgia State, uh, Representative Vernon Jones. We've got Senator Tim, Sto- uh, Tim Scott from South Carolina. We've got uh, the Congresswoman, Tulsi Gabbard. And, of course, you know that these people... Are all talking about President Trump doing his best to transform the, for transform the criminal justice system, where Joe Biden, in all his 30, 40 years in Congress, did nothing, and so they are saying if you look at the pardon that he gave to um, that he gave to, to to John Ponder, and now of course this other lady, Alice Johnson. Uh, he gave Alice Johnson uh, the, a pardon as well on August the 28th, literally August the 28th, a, a couple of days ago, a week or two ago. Uh, Alice Johnson, he gave her a pardon and she served a light sentence and she conspired, the sentence was that she conspired uh, to, to possess cocaine, cocaine and money laundering. And of course, two years after commuting her sentence, President Trump gave Alice Johnson a full pardon. And of course, Alice Johnson spent 22 years of her life in prison and, of, and she was actually given a life sentence, as I said. And President Trump encouraged Ellen Johnson to help and uh, look out for other innocent prisoners like herself and other innocent prisoners so that they can also help them and uh, either commute their sentence or in some cases give them a pardon. And of course, President Alice Johnson says she had no idea that the prisoner was going to pardon her. So if you look at the life of, uh, of Alice Johnson, the life of John Ponder, and then, of course, you listen to to people like like Tim Scott, uh, the the senator for South Carolina, and people like Vernon John uh, Vernon Jones, the ex Democrat, what they have to say about President Trump. And of course, uh, this lady Alice um, Alice uh, Johnson said from the stage, from the White House next to the president, that President Trump is not a racist. So you make up your own mind. You decide is he a racist or isn't he not? If you look at his actions. Uh, he's a Republican, accused of being a racist and all sorts of things, uh, compared to Kamala Harris, that's a Democrat, and it's supposed to be standing, standing for the people. So now let us move over to topic number three. Now, topic number three. What's Herman Smashaba's new political party? What is their intention? They launched their new political party in South Africa on Saturday, the 29th of August. Right. What's the chance of Herman Shaba Mashaba's new political party uh, on the South African political landscape? The view of Tim Modisi about the chance of uh, Mashaba's new political party. Tim Modisi is a political commentator, and he says South Africa is a constitutional democracy for the past twenty six years, but South Africa's high unemployment rate of about forty percent. South Africa has a high number of unemployed youth. And he says, young unemployed are entitled to ask, what has a democratic South Africa delivered to them? Okay. Now, Tim Odese says he knows, Tim, sorry, he knows um, Norman Mashaba very well. Mr. Herman Mashaba was a erstwhile mayor of Johannesburg for the DA, the Democratic Alliance Political Party, which is the official opposition in South Africa, for those who don't know. And Tim Odisi, the political commentator, says he laughed when he heard that Mashaba was planning to run for mayor of Johannesburg because he got to know him as a businessman. And anyway, uh, Mashaba surprised uh, many as how competent, how professionally he performed his duty as mayor of Johannesburg. And Tim says that if a party can deliver to the people what uh, uh, in a growing economy and good health care and good education and and less corruption, he feels that that particular party will get the vote of the people. So let us hear the views of some of the other people on the ground. This is the view of Paulo Solomon. And Paulo Solomon, he endorsed uh, Herman Mashaba. Uh, And of course, Paulo Solomon is a certified fraud an examiner and a forensic specialist. And Paul says he knows Mashaba well. And uh, he says he knows that Mashaba will appoint people, not based on colour, but on performance. And Paul says Herman will roll up his sleeves. That's the kind of person that he knows Herman Mashaba to be. And just some interviews of people on the ground, Uh, of both uh, brown and white South Africans. Many feel that Mashaba should be able to make a difference in putting good people in his party and he will be able to have a strong showing in future elections. That's what some of the people are saying. And many people admire Mashaba for rising from the bottom. He worked himself, he started working from his car uh, at the start and he built a successful business empire. And people respect Mashaba for, for knowing what it is to start at the bottom and to work hard and to succeed, okay? And then of course, people know that he's got a good track record as mayor of Johannesburg, and they're excited and they're ready to support him. And of course, he started a company, Black Like Me, and he's qualified to be a successful leader of a new political party. So as you can see, Mataba has got a good track record. He's a businessman, he understands the practicalities of business and what's required. And he says there are core non-negotiables Uh, Now, by the way, Mochabah says that um, because of the cry of many South Africans, he launched the People's Dialogue in December 2019. He discussed it with his family and he said, look, are you prepared to fund me? And they said, well, depending on the amount of support. And he launched the People's Dialogue to to basically get people's feeling about whether they would like him to run and what are their core uh, non-negotiables that they would want from him. And then he also said, thanks God, that he celebrated his 61st birthday uh, on the 26th of August. And, of course, he says that what, what made him decide to, to, to launch a political party, because he said he had over 2.4 million South Africans supporting him. Now, he, Woman Mashaba says that South Africa wants five non-negotiables, non-racialism, a market-driven economy, social justice, good rule of law, and they want an, if, uh, electoral uh, electoral reforms. So under uh, no, non-racialism, no Zulu or COSA factions, no black or white factions. Under a market-driven economy, no catered deployment to state-owned enterprises. And regarding social justice, he says, the World Bank study shows that South Africa is one of the most unequal societies in the world. And of course, he says that, that uh, in the last election, in 2019, which was literally last year, about 18 and a half million South Africans refused to vote because they said there was no particular alternative to the ANC that they could vote for. So, what he is saying that this party, they they um, will first of all allow the people, the communities, to 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 elect their representatives. It was not up to the party like the ANC, similar to the communist system of communist China. Uh, the ANC, uh, they your vote gets cast for the party and the party decides who they want to put in. Doesn't matter how many corrupt allegations is against the, 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 the nominee or the member of parliament or provincial parliament. And so the question we can ask today on the John Martin show, is South Africa ready for for Herman Mashaba's new political party? And why is the following five non-negotiables for South Africa to win and to be great again? Non-racialism, no cronyism, no nepotism, no black nationalism, no catered deployment to state-owned enterprises like ESCOM, Transnet, Denel, SAA, SABC, and BE. Because the ANC policy is based on the record uh, of favours blacks over whites and coloureds and Previously disadvantaged over unions over individuals. For instance, there's the case of the senior college taking the Department of Correctional Services to high court over the lack of promotions, and Trevor Manuel sympathized with him. And a, a, a senior ANC official by the name of Ginny Manier, a spokesperson for the ANC, his attitude was to Trevor Manuel's. Siding with those coloured officers, he says if the colours in the Western Cape feel aggrieved, they can move to another province. So it just goes to show you, it appears that there's subtle pressure to try to get brown people to move away from the Western Cape so that the ANC can also take control of the Western Cape, like the other nine provinces that they control with poor service delivery. Okay, so now, of course... Although the ANC seems to be against the brown people, according to a lot of brown people, uh, like the, um, there's another colored uh, activist group, Cape uh, Capetonians or something, the ANC allows lots of foreigners to take key jobs even in government positions and in the hospitality and restaurant industries. Uh, Sir so Herman Mashaba also wants a market-driven economy. And he says the disastrous policies and corruption of the ANC government, especially during the Yuma years, uh, uh, with, the, uh, with the corruption of the, the Gupta brothers, the growth rate is under 1%. And uh, South Africa has been downgraded by the ratings agencies. There's high, high government debt levels. There's a bloated government employment sector. And, of course, the Kosayati Alliance of Partners. They interfere in government policies to stop privatization of of the bankrupt state-owned enterprises. Then also he stands for social justice, right? And of course, he wants also the um, good rule of law and he wants the reformed electoral system. So those are all things that the South Africans are excited about. And of course, we trust that um, Herman Mashaba will live up to his promises. And of course... um, that uh, that he will not disappoint South Africans, and of course, apparently they are saying that the new party will contest three municipal wards in 2021. They will uh, re- uh, they will contest the wards in Ekurhuleni, in KZN. That's the home turf of the ex-mayor uh, Zandile Komedi. That's the mayor that's been that's been. Uh, accused of corruption she was actually imprisoned and she's out on bail and then the ANC in the promoted her to provincial legislature but of course president Cyril Ramaphosa has now apparently told that all people that's accused of corruption that they've got to step down and so uh, Erman Mashaba's new party the People's Dialogue Party will contest Ekurhuleni uh, Pretoria and Johannesburg in the municipal elections in 2021. And I'm sure most South Africans who want uh, effective, efficient government free of uh, corruption and maladministration wish them well. And urban Mashaba says that he's quite confident that they will win because the ANC the last time got about 10 million votes and about 18.5 million South Africans abstained from voting in 2019. And he feels if he appeals to them and he listens to their the, 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 the their, their aspirations and their desires, then obviously they will definitely stand a chance. And he's got top people in his party. He's got a Dr. Makozi Koza in his party uh, and a, a faki Mento in his party. These were two brave ladies that was brave enough to challenge Jacob Zuma while he was still in power. And then of course, he's got people like uh, David Temba, former uh, chief of police, while Herman was mayor of Johannesburg. And he says, besides a notable South Africans, ordinary South Africans, are, 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 are giving their support to him, and he said, they've had sixty thousand people that have volunteered? Can you believe it? Sixty thousand uh, people already signed up as volunteers across South Africa uh, to 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 support them. And so, of course, Herman resigned from the Democratic Alliance, and he says, he want to create another CODESA? First, you want to create another CODESA." Now, you know, of course, a lot of people feel that Nelson Mandela. Uh, including Cyril Ramaphosa that was at Kodessa let them down by not uh, insisting on the reparations for the poor blacks that was deprived during the years of apartheid. So Ermin um, Mashaba wanted to... Um, form another Codessa, but then of course he started the people's dialogue and 2.4 million South Africans said to him they will support him in a new party uh, with those core values as I've already mentioned so yeah let's see what happens and we wish him well and I'm sure South Africans they wish him well as well so let us move let us move to the to the uh, to the fourth and the final topic on our list for today and of course the final topic is What's going to trigger the coming wealth transfer from the American middle class? And what can you do to protect your assets and your family? Now, of course, the breaking news on Bloomberg was that um, tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite, they plunged by about 5%, the worst day since June. And of course, uh, people billionaires like uh, Bezos and Elon Musk. Hello again, friends, to the John Martin Show. This is John Martin Show here. Uh, We had a slight interruption with episode five of the John Martin Show. Uh, With that uh, particular episode five, I covered four – sorry, I covered three out of the four topics, and we were interrupted when I was busy with the fourth topic. So I just want to uh, let you have the benefit of listening to the fourth topic, which basically deals with the – the wealth transfer, as I said, the fourth topic is about what's going to trigger the coming wealth transfer from the American middle class to the 10 wealthy 10%, 10 wealthy 10% of the world. And what you can do to protect your assets and your family. So, yeah, let me just continue. And uh, hopefully you will enjoy the content. And it will be eye-opening for you to reveal, uh, to understand what is behind it, what is causing the stock market. Uh, crash, well not necessarily a crash, but what literally happened uh, today, just before Labor uh, Labor Day weekend, is that um, the the Dow dropped by about two point eight percent. The two uh, the S and P five hundred they fell by about three three point five percent, and of course um, Microsoft Apple stocks uh they, they they dropped between eight and nine percent. Yeah, that's the stops of Apple and um and and Microsoft. They dropped by about between eight and nine percent. And of course uh this is very interesting that uh between the um uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk uh they led the wealth uh, the tech wealth retreat uh by about forty four billion uh, forty-four billion, according to the article, breaking news on Bloomberg seventeen hours ago, uh, they uh, lost about forty-four billion dollars evaporated. Forty-four billion dollars evaporated from the bank accounts uh, or the share prices, rather, of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, uh, because you know the, um, the 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 Dow, the S and P five hundred, uh, they really surged over the last two months, and Apple stocks, Microsoft. And uh, and Tesla stocks, uh, they 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 drove they they really shot up in value. In fact, Apple stocks was valued at about two trillion. Can you believe it? One large company, their uh, their they, their market cap is worth more than some smaller countries. So Apple alone, their market cap was standing at about two trillion dollars. But they because of the 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 drop uh, in the in in the stock market. Uh, of about between eight and nine percent they they dropped uh, by about they lost about 150 billion dollars in one day can you believe it on thursday they lost about 150 billion dollars and of course in july let's not forget in july of 2018 facebook lost about 120 billion dollars in about three days now of course There are many factors causing the market correction that we've seen. There's lots of market fundamentals that has caused that. There's a lot of economic data that is behind that. And, of course, there's stock uh, and company valuations. And, of course, there's factors like the consumer confidence uh, that's also dropping. And, of course, consumers are feeling the the pinch here in America, like a lot of countries around the world, countries that's been affected by the COVID-19 lockdown effects like job losses, companies closing down, literally industries closing down. And of course, there's also the US uh, November coming elections where people's uh, minds are on the elections and what's going to happen. Is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris going to win for the Democratic Party in November or is Donald Trump going to be re-elected in November? So those are the, the things on people's minds as well. And of course, let's not also forget that in 2008 Volkswagen they lost about 140 billion uh in market cap in 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 one day. Uh so yeah, so what we are seeing here with the loss of Apple losing 150 billion in one day uh that eclipses the amount of 140 billion that was lost by Volkswagen in the stock market crash of 2008 where a lot of companies like Lehman Brothers also went under. And so yeah, Look, looking at the, the at the latest U.S. job loss claims, uh, jobless claims, they are they are steady, but the unemployment rate in the states compared to pre COVID nineteen lockdown, the unemployment rate is still increasing, and it's standing at about ten uh, percent at the moment. So there is about ten percent of people that are registered unemployed uh, in America at the moment, and of course, surprisingly, after the slight uh, faltering in March the stock market started rising again to record highs in September. But now, as people are saying, that obviously it was time for a correction because it was in a strong bull market and, of course, uh, it was unsustainable. I mean, if you really look at the way the stock market was surging, uh, while a lot of people in America is unemployed due to COVID-19 lockdown and the recession that was looming even prior to the lockdown – uh, and that it was the the market was due for a correction, and that is really that is really what we've seen. So the tech ne- the tech-heavy Nasdaq composite they plunged by about five percent their worst day since June. And as I says Gf Bezos, Elon Musk, they collectively lost about forty four billion uh, in their share value. That has just literally evaporated in one day. So it just shows you, as some as people say, or the bubbles, even say. Wealth is fleeting, wealth can get wings and fly away. So on the one hand, on the one day rather, you can be a billionaire and then the next day you can obviously, you know, be an ordinary millionaire. So <clears throat> let us just look at these three companies uh, that these three stocks, Apple, Tesla, Microsoft, they they rose the most, these are the three stocks that rose the most uh and, of course, uh, during the past few months, they had the, the the highest. Uh, but, of course, as I say, between between Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, they lost about $44 billion. As we know, the, the, the COVID-19 lockdown, it favoured certain industries. Most industries suffered. The airline industry suffered. The tourism and hotel industry suffered. And other industries like restaurant chain suffered. Uh, but the tech industries like like Apple, uh, well, Tesla is not really tech. I mean, but they're into electric cars, and Microsoft, and of course Facebook. The, these the, these shares really surged over the last few months. But of course, a market correction took place, and as I've just already said, now that um, that um, the Dow, the 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 Dow dropped about 2.8 percent, the S&P dropped about 3.5 percent, and of course. Um, Apple shares and and Microsoft shares they dropped between about eight and nine and nine nine percent and of course Apple lost about one hundred fifty billion dollars in one day can you believe it that's that's more than 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 certain countries uh, make maybe in in a year or two but let us talk about Daniela De Booth she's an economist and she was actually a member of the Fed in Dallas at one time yeah she's a former federal Dallas Federal Board member. And, of course, there was an interview with her uh, that I watched earlier today in preparation for this podcast. And, of course, um, you know, we're going to – she feels strongly about uh, the Fed uh, passing another stimulus package or the Congress passing another stimulus package. In fact, she said the Fed Chairman, Jay Powell, uh, is shifting his position and he's going to ask Congress to pass a new stimulus package – as the economy starts to slow. As the economy starts to slow, he's going to Congress to ask him to pass new stimulus measures so that he can do another round of what he calls, or what the Fed calls, quantitative easing. Right? Now, Daniela Booth says the Fed is doing everything to, to, uh, to market activity and the economy, uh, and to reduce interest rates—that's what she is saying, right? She said the Fed is doing everything uh, to boost market activity and the economy, uh, and of course, also reducing interest rates at the same time. Now that is disastrous for families or people that are depending on, 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 on living on their interest income. She says the Fed owns about one trillion of mortgage-backed securities, which is the third of the mortgage-backed securities market. Can you believe it? The Fed owns about a trillion dollars of mortgage-backed securities, which obviously they buy that so that they can stimulate the market and put more money into the system. Therefore, she says, the Fed is thereby doing everything to to juice up the economy, which can, of course, be seen in increased house prices because there's more money floating around. People are feeling wealthy. Uh, It's artificial stimulus. Uh, payday is coming sometime the Fed is kicking the can down the road they don't want to deal with it but anyway she's saying j Paul is saying to Congress our tools are limited in what we can do in stimulating growth but if you pass another stimulus package we will do our part through quantitative easing now we know that quantitative easing is just a fancy term for printing money that's really what it's about it's just a fancy term for for print money and of course the question you can ask yourself as a member of the middle class and quite interesting, not only you can be a member of the middle class in America or South Africa or Britain or Australia, but what can you do to protect your wealth and family? Because as I say, when America um, coughs or when America sneezes, the rest of the world coughs. So what can you do as a member of the middle class to protect your wealth and your family Uh and this is what Daniela de Martino Booth is saying, that even before COVID-19 lockdown, right, uh, she was already urging households, cut your spending and to save more as she was seeing a slowing economy through the data. Look, she's a research analyst. She's a, a economist. She looks at data constantly. And she was seeing a slowing in economic activity through the data that she was reading. And she was noticing there was a 50, 15% of people with mortgages, that are not paying. Fifteen percent of people whose mortgages are already ninety percent ninety days, sorry, ninety days in arrears. 15 percent of people, mortgages are ninety days in arrears. And she says lots of Americans are not even making their credit card payments. Are they not making their car payments, right? So what she's saying that. The American consumer, especially the middle class are under a lot of stress, and she says no, it's only about fifty percent of American uh workers receive um, health benefits from their companies where they are part of a health plan like medical aid, and uh, that's only fifty percent percent, but more American workers are expected to 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 make what they call co payments." and paying more for either doctor's visits or medication. And so that puts a lot of pressure on on a lot of the middle class uh, in America. Now, she said these figures are 15% of people that's not paying their mortgages or that's in 90 days and more in arrears with their mortgages Uh, and the people that's not making credit card payments or car payments. She says none of these numbers are being seen as the stimulus package has worked its way through the economy or the stimulus package is actually masking how how serious things are, right? And quite interesting, she says that the transfer of money from the United States government over the past year uh, to households has gone up by about 32%, where the government is basically putting money into the people's pockets uh, to make people – either buy food, the necessities, or pay their rent so they don't get evicted. Now, say so the stimulus packages are also propping up pensions and 401ks, but they are really are, are masking the underlying problems uh, in the economy. And, of course, the data coming out now says that income expectations in August was set at minus 3.9%, and that's the lowest reading since the last recession. I'll just repeat that statistic. Income expectations... And August was set at minus 3.9%. It's the lowest reading since the last recession. Now, the Martino Booth, uh, Danielle De Martino Booth is saying, saying that there's a demand destruction. is sitting in with huge job cuts. Yeah, demand destruction. What she's meaning by that is demand destruction. That as job cuts are biting and more companies are laying off workers, obviously the people don't have the money and there's going to be lack of demand for services, essential services, uh, and the retails are, are going to feel it, restaurants are going to feel it. And she, she talks about the job cuts by MGN. And last week MGN said they're going to lay off 18,000 workers, 18,000 workers. Ford Motor Company have announced that they're going to put off 40% of their North American staff. Can you believe it? Now you can imagine all those people without work, uh, they've got less money to spend. It's gonna have a knock-on effect on the retail industry, uh, the car industry, uh, the um, the uh, the restaurant industry, or the hotel industry, or the tourist industry. And of course, the question is: Is the COVID nineteen lockdown effects going to last into twenty two, uh, into twenty twenty one, or even beyond? That's a good question to ask. That's a good question to ask, right? And of course, Daniela Booth is saying. She's tracking the COVID-19 cases as recorded as the colder weather is going to start setting in. I mean, America's slowly moving out of summer into fall, as they call it, autumn or fall. And she's looking at three states like Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan to see what effects the COVID-19 cases may have on the the economic activity in these three states uh, going forward. And she says that, look, if there's no COVID-19 resurgence in any of these states, people will go back to their, their, their normal lives, they will go back to restaurants and shops and thereby stimulate the economic activity again. But if COVID-19 cases increase in these states, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan that she's tracking, uh, then, of course, consumers will go back from spending and they will hurt the retailers, the restaurants, hotels, car sales, and, and all of those industries. So... What we are seeing here is that the stimulus packages that the Fed is encouraging Congress to pass is masking the real problem. It's masking the real problem. And so what we are saying is, look, what you've seen now, we're getting closer to October. Now, of course, we know about October. October is often the month where you've got a major stock market correction. And a stock crash and when it goes into a bear market now we're in in december, sorry we're in September right now, and it's obviously just literally weeks away from october and it could it be this is a question that I'm asking uh my listeners to the John martin show that this five percent drop this five percent drop uh i mean in some cases it's been between yeah the, the the Dow dropped by 2.8% uh yesterday Thursday and the S&P dropped by 3.5% and of course the tech heavy Nasdaq dropped by but plunged by 5% yesterday that results in billions literally being wiped off the stock market is that a precursor of what's to come is that a harbinger of what's to come is that a sign of what's to be expected coming this coming October? Because October is known to be a month in which there can be a major stock market correction. And so now the question is, what should we be doing? Now the signs are there, and often in life you get a sign. You get signs in life. So the question is, what should you be doing if you're prudent? Right? What should you be doing? Now these are my, my five, top five tips for Americans and for the middle class in South Africa, Britain, Amer- Australia, and around the world, uh, obviously, hopefully, where my podcasts are being listened to. Uh, so my five tops for, for Americans, for the middle class in America, South Africa, Britain, Australia, and around the world, what are these are the tips that I'm giving. And I'm saying think about this carefully and try and implement this as soon as you can in preparation for what can come. Because now it's dropped by 5%, but who knows? That's only the beginning before the storm. It's only the calm before the storm. So my advice would be put these things in place and then you'll sleep easier at night and you will be uh, pre- protecting yourself and your family and you'll be preserving your wealth. Because as Daniela De Martino writes in a book, Fed Up, talking about the Federal Reserve, and she knows the Federal Reserve because she worked there. Uh, for the Federal Reserve in Dallas uh, for a few years and she left there. But she said, look, the Fed are responsible for a lot of the things that we are seeing happening. The Fed is responsible for a lot of the things that we are seeing happening. And so what she's saying is this the Fed, as I've mentioned in one of my previous podcasts, the Fed is both the Fed is both the the, the fireman and the arsonist. The arsonist meaning the Fed causes the fire. And then, of course, the Fed also is the fireman that tries to put out the fire. So now the question is this, what should we do in terms of preparing for ourselves? What should we do? Now, of course, right now, she's saying that the Fed, with quantities of easing, they are keeping zombies alive. That's the term she's using. I'm trying to see where I wrote it down, but she says that they are trying to keep zombies alive by quantitative easing meaning that companies that should have been allowed to fail are not allowed to fail right companies that should have gone to the wall is not allowed to fail and they're being propped up artificially right she says that through quantitative easing the fed is keep keeping zombie companies alive and stifling competition so what she's saying the Fed is doing everything to 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 boost market activity and the economy and reduce interest rates. Of course, we know that. But what she's saying is, is by keeping zombie co- corporations alive, they are stifling competition, meaning that when these companies are so large and they've got so much money and there another competitor comes along, a smaller competitor, they literally just buy them out. They buy them out. Uh, she was talking i don't know if she mentioned it, if it was she was talking about the people behind behind Instagram, but they said that when they sold out I think they sold out to Facebook, but when they sold out they 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 felt they were wealthy, they got a couple of hundred million dollars, but they said a few years later if they had kept waiting and not sold at the time, they would have made billions uh so there's so much money. That it's keeping companies alive that shouldn't be alive. And they're called zombie companies. And of course, they are hurting competition. And of course, they are keeping other companies from coming in. Uh, so this is what she's saying. So I'm saying, let us be prepared. Let us look at what we can do to prepare ourselves for this wealth transfer, because the Fed is assisting large companies, large corporations, that are already so powerful that is hurting the smaller companies from coming through companies that can introduce innovation and lower the cost. So what should we do? Because it's going to be when the stock market crash, I can assure you, like the Fed did the last time in 2008, with with prime subprime, the subprime uh, junk bonds that that caused the market to crash, and then of course we found that a lot of people lost their homes. And the people on Wall Street, they had the money and they would buy the homes. And they are now the owners of those homes. So that was a wealth transfer that took place then. And I believe we can see another wealth transfer taking place. The Fed is artificially stimulating the market through quantitative easing, printing money. uh, That's got no real value. Uh, That is the reason why gold is shooting up. But anyway, so my five tips is tip number one, right? The middle class in America... South Africa and around the world cut up your credit cards reduce your debt cut up your credit cards may seem very basic information or advice but cut up your credit cards reduce your debt drastically quickly have garage sales sell all non-essentials whatever you don't need sell it reduce your debt right reduce your debt and then tip number two Refinance your mortgage at lower interest rates if you can. I mean, interest rates are low. You should be able to refinance your mortgage if you've got a mortgage at a higher rate. Refinance it, get a lower rate as soon as you can. Reduce your cost drastically, right? And then number three, invest in physical assets. Buy gold and silver bullion. Buy gold, you know, they don't, it's expensive to mine gold. That's why the price of gold keeps on going up. It's expensive to mine silver. So my advice is gold is God's money. It doesn't devalue, and it can't be printed like paper money. So gold surged by 37% to over $2,000 just over the past few months. Since about March, gold has surged by 37% to over $2,000 per ounce over the past few months. And gold is expected to go, according to, 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 to Jim Rickards, uh, gold is expected to go up to fifteen thousand dollars pounds over the next few years. Now you may say, "Man, I wish I can invest in gold." Well, as I discussed it, and it's going to come up in our next interview. We're having a next interview uh, with uh, a gold bug, a gold bull, as we may call him, uh, David Melville, and he's going to talk about what you, as the average person, can do to 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 benefit from the increase in the in, in the gold price. Then tip number four, buy mining stocks. Now Barron's Investment says that mining stocks will even outperform gold in two thousand and twenty. So, which means you can get a higher return from buying into gold uh, stocks than buying physical gold. But of course, there are risks associated with that uh, buying gold stocks because you know with gold mines the cost of 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 mining and and drilling and all of that so but anyway, buying of mining stocks can definitely can definitely um help you to 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 benefit uh when the stock market goes down, so buying gold stocks will help, and then of course my tip number five is buy land to farm on buy land, buy land to farm on if you can afford to buy land, buy a farm, preferably a large farm. And grow food yourself, which you can obviously grow food, raise livestock, and of course you can obviously sell your products to supermarkets, uh, Walmart, and others. Uh, They will obviously buy your 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 produce. Uh, You can also use your produce to barter, right? And of course, uh, you know, when paper money becomes worthless, you've got gold, you've got land. uh, You can sell your produce. You can barter for essentials. So. Those are my tips. Uh, obviously, the one that I didn't include this time, which I can include, is if you want to, to buy into uh, Bitcoin or those cryptocurrencies, uh, because the reason why Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, says uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and Ethereal are so popular is because the Federal Reserve and, and uh, the European Central Banks, they can't control it. It's the people's money. And they can't manipulate it. So that is why it's so popular. So as they print print more money or they have more what they call quantitative easing and literally printing trillions of dollars, then, of course, the price of Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies will go up. The price of gold bullion will go up. So what we are saying is this, that try to diversify try to diversify, try to keep your powder dry, try to make proper arrangements before the wealth transfer takes place. A Massive wealth transfer took place in 2008 uh, when the stock market crashed and Lehman Brothers crashed and other large companies crashed. And then, of course, people lost their homes and the Wall Street uh, bankers, they bought those properties and now they're the landlords. So make proper arrangements, timely arrangements, Tip number one, cut up your credit cards, reduce your debt, have garage sales, sell all your non-essentials, what you don't need, and reduce your debt. Then secondly, tip number two, refinance your mortgage if you can at a lower interest rate. If you can, and then pay off the most expensive debt with that money, because the mortgage loans are still at the lower interest rate. Then number three, invest in physical assets like buying gold and silver bullion. By the way, they're expecting that silver bullion will go up even more than gold. So there's a great opportunity that you've got here to get into silver bullion. And of course, there's many benefits to gold and silver bullion, as uh, David uh, Melville will discuss in our next episode, where we are talking about gold and the benefits of gold and the cost of gold and the reasons why gold is so popular. We'll cover all of that in our next episode with David Melville. And of course, buy mining stocks, mining stocks, according to balance investments, is expected to go even outperform gold this year. And then lastly, uh, buy land, uh, farmland, preferably if you can. Uh, Grow your own food and vegetables, raise livestock, because you can obviously uh, sell your produce. You can barter with what you have for essentials, but also, you know, uh, a farm and a land will always will always be available, will always be there, uh, and it will always, you know, sustain you and your family irrespective of the times that we are living in. So, yeah, that's all we have for today. And, um, yeah, look, the next episode will deal with gold. And, of course, uh, David Melville will speak to us about that. And then we will be able to learn as to what we can do, how we can still get invested in gold. So thanks a lot for listening. Everything of the best. Uh, enjoy the labor weekend stay safe uh, stay cool and uh, yeah look after yourself and uh, try to take into account what is happening around you and make proper arrangements and god bless thanks bye